All right. So I want to talk about uh, consciousness today. I want to talk about levels of the mind. Let's jump into this. Hope everybody's having a good Sunday morning. It's uh, Sunday morning where I'm at. And uh, getting back in the swing of this. <laughs> I want to talk about consciousness today. I want to talk about levels of consciousness. And I didn't really sit down and prepare something with notes or uh, <clears throat> structure outline to it. I just kind of picked this as a topic and decided to go with it. Give you a little, some presuppositions here. Um, for those of you that need scripture, um, I think John 1 speaks to this the best. The beginning of John 1, in the beginning was the word or logos in the Greek, or we could call it mind or consciousness. And then it goes on to tell us that this consciousness is what we call God and that it created everything that out of uh, nothing that was made that has been made was not consciously made or made without consciousness. And then it goes on and says, you know, in the Logos was life and light. And so out of consciousness then or or in consciousness or with consciousness, however you want to understand it, is what gives us life and then also energy. So I want you to think about these three things, not as separate things, but as things that are intertwined or different aspects of the same thing, mind, consciousness, uh, life, and then light and energy. So we could say that we live in a universe where everything is energy and everything is consciousness. And if that's true, if that is reality, and, and um, quantum physics seems to point at that, uh, new, newer cutting-edge scientific theory and philosophy seems to point to that, certainly in the past, uh, various different religious traditions have pointed to that. So there's this coming together now of science and spirituality in regards to consciousness and energy. And so what does that make us as human beings? I want to talk about where we fit in this. Because as human beings, we are conscious, sentient beings. We have consciousness. We have awareness. We have self-consciousness. We have the ability to think. We have the ability to emote. We have the ability to self-reflect, to create meaning. And then we also... Uh, or an energy system. Our body essentially is an energy system. Oxygen, food, water, all of that stuff is there to produce energy. And then we have electrical energy inside of us as well. And so a big part of being human is learning about how to master consciousness and energy, right? Or living in this world as a human being, as a conscious being, is learning how to um, manage and steward consciousness and energy or how to understand it. And this is a, this is a very different paradigm when you start breaking it down. Now, most schools of thought in the esoteric world or spirit from a perspective of spirituality look at three main, three major levels of consciousness. There's the conscious mind or what uh, used to be called the the willful mind, the, uh, the voluntary mind, I think is what some of the older writers call it. The voluntary mind <clears throat> is the conscious mind. It's where we make choice. And then you have the involuntary mind, which is operating on automatic responses. You could think about it in terms of automatic pilot. Doesn't require any choice. Uh doesn't require a lot of thinking. And so therefore it just operates. This is what learning is. When you've really learned something, you don't have to sit there and concentrate on it or think about it. Uh you're just able to do it. So the involuntary mind or the subconscious mind gets hardwired into the body. So I remember some of you are old enough to remember learning to drive a standard or a stick shift and driving a stick shift was very different than learning to drive an automatic because there were more movements involved. That's at the, at the end of the day, that's what it was. There was more movement. And so at the beginning, there are more choices that you have to make. You have to voluntarily push in the clutch, press on the gas pedal, let the clutch out a little bit, but not too fast to get the car moving. <clears throat> and then you're manually changing the gears each time the car speeds up or slows down with the clutch and the gear shift. So at the beginning, 
you're having to remember all these things. You're having to voluntarily choose all these things. So when you're in the process of learning, it's 100% the conscious mind that's doing the work. But eventually you get to the point where the body has learned it or where the involuntary mind has learned it, where the subconscious has learned it. And you can just drive a stick shift. Same thing with walking, same thing with riding a bike. In fact, most of the difficult learning that most people do is in the first seven years of their lives. Uh, again, learning how to walk, learning how to eat. Those of you that have had children, uh, those of you that have small children now, I'm sure you go through times. I know I went through times where I'm like, are they ever going to learn to do this for themselves? <laughs> and God, I can't wait till they learn to do this for themselves. So when something's learned, it's recorded in the subconscious and then it just operates automatically. So you can think about the conscious mind as the willful mind, the mind of choice, the mind that has to think. You can think about the subconscious mind as something that is sort of like a recording that becomes uh, automatic. It's just an automatic response. You can also think about it this way. The conscious mind happens a lot in the head. It happens in uh, with thought and with self-talk or with imagination. I'm imagining myself doing this. I'm thinking about doing this. I'm applying effort in doing this. And I'm having to make a choice. That effort involves having to make a choice. So that's your conscious mind. Subconscious mind, you can think about existing to a large extent what's hardwired into the body. So if the conscious mind's up here, the subconscious mind is down here. And I'm going to come back to the subconscious mind in a minute, but there's three levels, three primary levels that people talk about. The conscious mind, the subconscious mind, that all relates to you as a person and your identity and your way of being in the world. And then there is a transpersonal mind or transpersonal consciousness. Now, the I'm just going to give you the definition for transpersonal. Let me look at it here and make sure I get it right. Uh, of denoting or dealing with states or areas of consciousness beyond the limits of personal identity. Areas or states of consciousness that are beyond the limits of personal identity. So this is where ego comes in. People in spiritual circles talk about the ego. The ego is simply the I. It is your self of identity, uh, sense of identity. It's your consciousness that has to do with you and the limits and the boundaries of your personal experience or the limits and boundaries of your conscious mind, subconscious mind. But it is possible, and many people do this, some do it with intention. In fact, we all do this. Sometimes we do it with intention. Sometimes it just happens by accident or we do it without intention. And that's what some people call the super conscious mind. So the super conscious mind would be everything else. It would be all the consciousness out there, uh, particularly in these systems that is unseen, <laughs> uh, that is not part of the subconscious, but part of the greater universal mind, because everything is consciousness and everything is energy. So we might call that transpersonal consciousness, right? So conscious mind, subconscious mind, voluntary mind, involuntary mind, um, and then the transpersonal consciousness or the superconscious. Superconscious is what exists other than us in the realm of consciousness. And transpersonal consciousness is the ability to access those states, the ability to access states of consciousness. Now, that's the other thing about consciousness. It exists or is held in certain states. <clears throat> There, uh, and, and we do this all day long. We go in and out of states all day long. Uh, all you have to do is think about, uh, what you're going to do this Sunday and you'll notice how different states are held depending on what the activity is that you might be engaging in. If you're going to go outside, do something fun. You like the outdoors. You like the fact that it's spring. You like the fact that it's warming up. You like the fresh air. And so maybe you're looking forward to getting out and doing something outside. That's going to create a feeling. That's going to create anticipation, relaxation, whatever. Those are all states. Now, if it's a different kind of Sunday because it's spring and you're doing spring cleaning, and uh, I noticed back here I've got some water bottles that I left um, 
that I need to do some, <laughs> some a couple of glasses, glass back there that I didn't even know was there till I logged on. And I thought, Oh, I need to do some, some cleaning, some spring cleaning, got the Gatorade bottle over here. So I need to pick that stuff up, but maybe I want to do like a deep cleaning and that's going to create a different state of consciousness. Or maybe you're a person that works a regular job Monday through Friday and you're not like totally thrilled with your job or whatever. So you start thinking about going back to work. Maybe you're starting to think that on Sunday morning. Maybe you don't start thinking that until Sunday night. That creates a different state of consciousness. And it's because all of these activities are somehow dependent upon a certain state of consciousness. If I have total dread at the thought of cleaning and doing deep cleaning and I hate to clean and I have allergies and I'm going to stir up dust or something um, because, you know, I'm going to get in those crevices and corners of the house that we don't do when we're just, you know, weekly cleaning or whatever. Uh, or I've got to clean my garage out. I haven't cleaned my garage out in a while, and I know I'm going to be sweeping it and stirring up dust. That's going to cause allergies. So I can have all this stuff. I can go into a state of resistance. And if my state of resistance is strong enough, I'm held in a state of resistance. That's going to constrict me. That's going to constrain me. And that's going to prevent me, probably, from going out and doing uh the yard work or the garage work or the cleaning work or the dishes or whatever. And if that state of resistance is strong enough, it'll hold me so that I won't do it. So that all procrastination is, is you are being held in a state of resistance. You could call it a vibration. People like to use that term. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily a specific vibration, but you get the point. You're held in a vibration of resistance. You're held in a state of resistance. And because you're held in a state of resistance, you don't do the things that you want to do. So, and oftentimes, more often than not, well, always, usually, always exceptions to the rule, these states that hold us or empower us are being held in the subconscious mind. So we can make the choice that we want to do something, but then the subconscious mind is putting up resistance to that. And so we're held in a state of resistance. So we kick the can down the road. We procrastinate. We don't get it done. So I'm going to say that again, because I know, <laughs> I think most of us on some level struggle with um, procrastination. So if you're in procrastination, you're held in a state of resistance. The same thing could be true about success. Um ep- you know, I mean, the keys to success are not top secret. Like, you know, you don't have to keep searching YouTube over and over and over again, hoping to find that new guru or that new key that somehow is going to cause you to be a success. What uh, <laughs> basically you set a goal, you learn what you and you set about doing the things, doing the behaviors that will lead to the accomplishment of that goal. If you don't know what those behaviors are, then the first behavior is to learn. And so that learning can involve reading books, can involve watching videos. It can involve finding someone who's doing what you want to do and being mentored by them and learning from them. Those might be your first steps, but we can be, we can have resistance to that because it's unknown, because it's scary, because we have subconscious beliefs about failure and whatever. And so this state of resistance gets held. And so we get locked in to various certain behaviors and patterns and habits and repetitions. Now, because we're not taught, we're not taught about consciousness. We're not taught about the mind. We're not taught about emotional regulation. We're not taught about emotional intelligence. We're not taught about interpersonal skills. And what I mean by this is these are things that should be, you know, year-long classes. Uh, you know, at some point, the education system is going to have to adapt to this new age that we're in. They're going to have to adapt to the information age. They're going to have to adapt to the fact that we have a memory in our pocket, that we have access, transpersonal consciousness, we have access to an encyclopedia and more in our pocket. Most of us have it with us all the time. So if you want to know a fact or something, you can... Google it. You can Wikipedia it. Um, there's no reason in my mind that we need to be memorizing facts, having kids read and comprehend and memorize facts about 
certain things like a, a lot of history or uh, geography or any of these things that we can simply Google. What might be better is to have years of classes on how to navigate the how do you, how to how to use this how to navigate Google how to navigate Wikipedia how to know uh, how to fact check information and know if it's disinformation or correct information how to think critically what if you had had years of classes years of training in your school about how to manage your states of consciousness about how to manage your emotions and regulate your emotions what if you'd have been taught the skills that you need to have to know how to handle arguments and disagreements with people that you care about, how to disagree agreeably, how to resolve conflict. I mean, if we're lucky, we may go to a few classes or read a few books on this, but yet we got years of training in something like, say, mathematics or stuff like that, math that maybe we'll never even use later on down the road in our life, and yet every day of our lives, we're doing states of consciousness. Now, before, you know, people out there, <laughs> if there's one, if there's one, uh, uh, common response if there's one way to define when you're putting something up on social media it's uh it's freak out and react (laughs) or freak out and overreact so before you start commenting or getting upset with me i'm not saying that children shouldn't learn history i'm not saying that children shouldn't learn geography or math or those things i'm just saying there needs to be emphasis on these these other areas and especially in this this idea of states of consciousness, which I have been um, fascinated with for 30 years and reading about studying and working with my own and talking to other people. It's part of the reason I got a psychology degree. It's part of the reason I'm a counselor. It's part of the reason that I was a pastor for so many years. I was trying to figure out the uh, what, what what is this life and who are we as conscious, sentient beings, as energetic beings, and how do we enrich and improve our experience and what else is out there for us to experience. And so one of the things that really shifted my thinking in regards to Christianity that really got me thinking about Christianity and the way we did church and the way we uh, discipled and did things within Christianity was I gained a realization early on that it was a disembodied way of being that literally Christianity is from the head up. And we talk about the heart and we want it to be from the heart, meaning we talk about things like love. We talk about joy. We talk about peace. These are all things that generally emanate from the heart. They don't emanate from the mind. Um, and and so, you know, we're cut off. But there's there's a whole lot of other stuff down here, because remember, the subconscious mind or your subconscious states to a large degree, are stored in your body. Now, let's talk about emotions. So emotions, from the perspective of Chinese medicine at least, exist in the organs of the body. They exist down here. So before I jump into that, let me say this. It is an indisputable scientific proposition. I don't want to say fact because... It gets murky. But let's just say it's a scientific fact that your mind can heal your body of anything. I'm going to say that again. It is an absolute, well-known, scientific fact that your mind can heal your body of anything. It's called the placebo effect. Any area of health, not just medicine, not just big pharma, not just vaccines, um, any area of health, holistic health, massage, nutrition, essential oils, if it's being researched scientifically, psychological well-being, social psychology, any experiment on any level, if it's being researched Scientifically, if there are a group of scientists who are submitting their theories or ideas about what produces health, or what produces well-being, and they're studying it, it has to be put together in a designed test and then applied in the real world, then results taken in and those results evaluated. And all of those things that I just mentioned, if you're designing a study, if you're a person responsible for designing a study, 
in any of those areas I just mentioned and more once I left out, you have to account for what's called a placebo effect. Even with massage, I was reading a, a magazine that my massage therapist gave me on uh, issues, some issues that I've been having with fascia and just repetitive motion and sitting all day and and getting older. And so I was reading this article and they were talking about a research uh, article. And in the design of the research article, in treating something like sore muscles or spinal issues, they have to have a controlled placebo group. Now, we think about a placebo. If you know what a placebo is, the typical idea of a placebo is when they're testing medicine, they give, they find recipients that have the medical condition that they want to study or the medicine that they want to study or the treatment that they want to study. In this case, it was massage. So it wasn't pharmaceutical. But we think about, let's say, in pharmacy, if they want to test a new allergy pill, let's say, then they find people who struggle with allergies. They give them the actual medicine. And then they have a control group that doesn't get the medicine. Then they have a placebo group that thinks, watch this, that thinks they're getting the medicine, but they're not getting the medicine. They're getting what might be a sugar pill. And that's, and so we think that's the placebo. The placebo isn't in the pill. The placebo is in the mind. You are, as Joe Dispenza says, you are the placebo. <laughs> but even, and I don't know why I was surprised. I think I was locked into that line of thinking, but even in this, article that was talking about massage, they would give the actual massage treatment to a group, and then they would give a faux massage treatment. They would do some rubbing and some massage, but not the specific type of massage that was designed to treat the ailment, and they would compare the results. They even do this with surgery. So they have to account for this. They have to account for this in any kind of scientific study. So that means then that is a presupposed scientific fact that people, at least some people, can use consciousness to heal their bodies. Now, let's look at this. So so one of the things when, when I was studying scripture, really into studying scripture and reading scripture every day, I was reading the Bible from this idea of consciousness, and I realized that we have terrible translations, and they keep getting worse, uh, but that we talk about, uh, sorry, the Bible talks about the heart or the mind, and it translates many different words in the Old Testament as heart, and it translates many different words in the Old Testament as mind. And so as I was breaking these down and looking at the original languages, heart and mind, what I found out was, was that what gets translated mind, for example, in the New International Version throughout the Old Testament represents, or what gets translated heart, represents various different organs. Sometimes it's the spleen. Sometimes it's the bowels. Uh, sometimes it's talking about cardia, the, the heart, or leb in Hebrew, the heart. Uh, sometimes it's talking about the stomach. Sometimes it's talking about the liver. Sometimes it's talking about the kidneys. So they were assigning states of consciousness to various organs in the body. What surprised me was I did not find anywhere in the Old Testament that consciousness was located by ancient thought in the brain or in the mind. It was located in the body. So their faith was not this 21st century faith that was from the neck up, you know, come listen to messages, come to Bible study, read books, watch videos and pray, do verbal activity, uh, meditate on the scriptures, verbal activity. Meditation is all up here. In fact, uh, I was part of schools that taught don't ever empty your mind. Don't use your imagination. The heart is deceitful and wicked. Emotions are your problem. Uh, emotions lead you astray. They're part of the flesh. The body is the problem. And so it's it's a neck up religion. It's it's a very disembodied religion. Now it's not just Christianity. Uh, to a large extent, the entire Western world is struggling with this disembodied self. Psychology does the same thing. Cognitive behavioral therapy, except to the degree that it it addresses the bot the the behaviors, but a lot of cognitive therapy, a lot of therapeutic models are just up here. So we treat the person's consciousness 
as it all existing up here. And so almost all treatment protocols, be they spiritual or religious, almost all treatment plans, be they spiritual, religious, or be they in counseling and therapy, are disembodied. So think about that. The rest of you is, is left out of the equation. Now, from the biblical perspective and from ancient or traditional Chinese medicine, organs store the energy of certain emotions. So, for example, in traditional Chinese medicine, anger is stored in the liver. Fear stored in the kidneys. Depression and grief is stored in the lungs. Some of your more positive, what we consider positive emotions like joy, uh, enthusiasm, stored in the heart. And so in traditional Chinese medicine, they treat you as a conscious energetic being and start addressing issues like that. So I want you to think about the fact with your emotions that your emotions are felt in your body, whether it's anger in the liver or fear in the kidneys, I don't know. But regardless, every emotion is felt and experienced in the body. You never felt an emotion that you didn't actually feel, that you didn't actually feel on some physical level in the body, right? Desire, passion, enthusiasm, excitement in the body. So British scientists found out that there's actually what they call a second brain. Some people call this the second brain. And it's the second largest network of neurons in the body. And it's located in the stomach area. It's located in the, in the belly. So you have a brain in your gut. Absolutely true. It's fascinating research. You have a brain in your gut. (laughs) So the interesting thing about this brain in the gut is that it thinks independently of the brain up here, and it definitely has a mind of its own. And one of the things that they're looking at is new ways of developing, like, lie detector tests, because one of the things they found out was that the gut can't lie. (laughs) And so ways of connecting to that and testing with that. They also found that the the place you store the most serotonin in your body is in your gut. And so they're even using now some um, digestive treatments as antidepressants because they found out that the digestive treatment acts on the digestive system, acts on the serotonin, and can increase and improve uh, the and balance the levels of serotonin uh, that a person is operating from. Now, we've known this forever because this is in our language. We talk about, well, I just felt that in my gut. I felt kicked in the gut. When I heard that, I felt kicked in the gut. Or follow your gut on this because your gut has a mind. Your gut knows. We talk about the heart. We talk about having a broken heart. We talk about having a happy heart. Um, we equate the heart with love. We don't equate, equate the brain with love. Nobody gives a card to you on Valentine's Day that has a picture of a brain. It has a picture of the heart. So we kind of known these things intuitively. So, uh, but I want, I want you to think about this as a possibility that your cells, undoubtedly, your cells and your organs are storing your emotions. Now, because we weren't taught emotional regulation, because we weren't taught what to do with our emotions, then these things get locked into us or they recycle. See that the thing with, <clears throat> that should happen with emotions, You've heard the saying, you have to feel it to heal it. What ought to happen is we ought to be able to see our emotions as energetic reactions to life. And as we're having these energetic reactions to life, what we want to be able to do is when it comes, we want to be able to release the charges, especially when it comes to negative emotions. Now, kids just do this naturally. You know, when my boys were small and they would play together, one minute they'd be laughing hysterically together. The next minute they'd be punching each other, angry, yelling at each other. The next minute one of them would be crying. But within a couple of minutes, they would fully express it. They would fully express it in their body. If they're mad, they'd punch. Not that I think you should punch somebody or go up and slap somebody in the Oscars because you got your feelings hurt. <laughs> Not saying that. I'm just saying when we look at kids as a model, they're they're releasing this energy at a 
biological level, at a behavioral level. They're not doing it at a level of talk therapy. They're not doing it at a level of, oh, let's sit down and talk about this and just think about this and, and cognitively deal with this. They're dealing with it really at the level of the subconscious, right? It's, it's getting imprinted in the body and the energies in the body and they're releasing it. So they might go from laughter to crying to angry to laughing again. And by the end of the day, they don't even really necessarily remember what they were mad about or what they were upset about. But somehow as adults, we no longer release emotions. We no longer release feelings that we're having. We recycle emotions. We recycle feelings that we're having. And that's how these things get stored. So that in even in a lot of therapy sessions, what we end up doing is we're just telling our story. We're just telling our victim villain story. We're just telling how we were victimized, how we were hurt, how we were traumatized. And instead of releasing that, we're just bringing it up into conscious awareness talking about it, recycling it as we talk about it. Sometimes, you know, they have a saying that the tails grow taller on down the line of Kenny Rogers. Is that a Kenny Rogers lyric or something? Oh, somebody help me out with that. But, you know, the tails just grow taller on down the line. The, the, the tails get bigger. The tails get changed. Right. And that's what. And so then we 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 edit, we change, we amplify particularly sometimes in therapy, we amplify the negative aspect of what's going on. And then we just store it right back in the body. We don't release it. We don't let it go in that sense. We don't know how to release it or how to let it go. And we think just talking about it's going to make it better. And there is a level of talking where it can be therapeutic and you're releasing. I got that off my chest. Listen to our language. I didn't didn't get it off my brain. I didn't get off my head. I got the monkey off my back. I got it off my shoulders. A weight's been lifted. I got this off my chest. When you're talking about something, you say, whew, that sense of relief. Man, it felt good to get that off my chest. That's a form of release. You're releasing that energy. But before then, you were storing that energy, and you didn't know what to do, and you're just ruminating about it. So there is a place for that kind of talk therapy, but you got to be careful that you're not just recycling or talking to your friends that you're not just recycling it over and over and over again. And so what happens is is that we're storing all this negative energy inside of our system at a cellular level, which is why oftentimes when people go to use the law of attraction and what is taught as the law of attraction, it doesn't work for them because they haven't done the kind of emotional releasing. This is why the placebo effect for a lot of people don't doesn't work for them. So let's say that you've got a sickness or a disease or a pain or an ailment, uh, and you have watched Law of Attraction videos, you read Abraham Hicks' book on you can have what you want or have ask and it shall be given, whatever it's called. Uh, you... Um, Watch Aaron Abke videos or Brian Scott videos or Aaron Tomlinson videos or whoever, you know, and they teach you, you read Neville Goddard's book, The Feeling is the Secret, and they teach you to imagine it. They teach you to feel it. The feeling is the secret, all that stuff. And you're trying to use that for health and wellness and prosperity. But what happens is, is you're still locked into these patterns of resistance. Um. You can have an objection to the very thing that you are looking for or that you think you're looking for because there's too many secondary benefits to where you're stuck. So I'll give you an example. Somebody grows up in a home where they're neglected, where they get more attention from television and screens than they get from mom and dad, um, or they don't get the kind of quality. We don't all have, you know, 24-7 to sit there and raise our kids. But we can have quality interactions with them that make up for the lack of quantity. So we're giving our children quality attention. We're making sure not only are their physical needs met, but we're thinking about their mental and emotional needs. We're doing something as parents to meet those mental and emotional needs. And that involves caring. That involves nurturing. That involves touching. uh, All those different things. But let's say that a child grows up in a home where they don't get that. They don't get any kind of positive attention. They're getting the negative attention, being yelled at. You're a bother. You're troubling me. You're you're making my life difficult. Go over in the corner. Go play. 
uh, and they're being taught to shut, uh, shut down their emotions, uh, even excitement, even positive emotions. They're excited for Christmas. Oh my God, would you please settle down and please go to bed? Or they have, uh, hurt and pain. They want to cry and they're not allowed to cry or they're not allowed to get angry. Everybody talks about how boys are not allowed in our society to cry. Women in our society aren't allowed to be angry without a bunch of shaming. And nobody's talking about that. So lots of women have stored up anger and frustration and rage in some cases. And the only acceptable way for that to be processed or to come out in a, in a social setting, be it family or be it, uh, in the public or whatever is crying. So, uh, a lot of women will find out that the only, that when they get really angry, they just sit and cry. Well, that's because that was emotionally acceptable in our culture. So, so you, you're growing up in this family. Anyway, back to what I was saying, you're growing up in this family where all this stuff is going on and you, but, but you get sick. You get sick really young. You get sick and the world stops. Mom all of a sudden becomes very attentive to your needs or dad or both of them. And you start feeling those nurturing feelings. You start getting the kind of attention that you've been looking for. You're not being yelled at. You're being cared for. You're being nurtured. You're feeling love. Well, your subconscious mind then can associate that feeling of attention and love with physical ailment. And so the subconscious mind can believe that getting sick is the only way I get my social and emotional needs met. So therefore, you have what's called the nocebo effect, which is the exact opposite of the placebo effect, where you get sick because when you're sick, you don't have the responsibilities, you get the nurturing, et cetera, et cetera. And then later on, you decide you want to be well, and you watch a video or read a book or something on the law of attraction. And so you decide, okay, I'm going to believe, I'm going to go to bed believing that I'm healed. I'm going to imagine well-being. I'm going to make affirmations daily that I'm healed. But subconsciously, because you're cut off from this part of yourself, what you don't realize is there's part of you that's like, no, if I give up this sickness, then I give up the mechanism that I've used throughout my life to have those other higher level needs met. So the law of attraction doesn't work for you. Or you're sick in your body because you have stored up anger and frustration, because you have stored up uh, disappointments and depression, because you have stored up fear, and it's registering at a cellular level. And you don't treat the consciousness, you don't treat the mind, you don't treat the ailments of the mind or the ailments of the consciousness. You're just believing that you were healed. You're just imagining that you were healed. You're just going to bed feeling that you were healed. And instead, what needs to happen is there needs to be a lot of catharsis. There needs to be a lot of getting in touch with maybe with with anger and frustration and and past traumas and things like this. And listen, guys, you, you can't always do this on your own. So I realize I'm talking to a broad audience. If you've been deeply wounded through trauma and you try to just get in touch with that trauma, you're going to you're going to get messed up. That's why you need to find good trauma informed professionals, if you're able to, that can help you with that that can help you along with that or at least if if you're at a place where you can't do that and you don't have access to that then go very very slowly on this don't don't be in a hurry with this kind of stuff <clears throat> um but you see what i'm saying so like like at the level of the conscious mind you're saying i want to be healed at the level of the conscious mind you're saying i want to attract this thing in my life at the level of your conscious mind you're saying i want to attract my soulmate at the level of your conscious mind, you're saying, I want to attract success and abundance and financial prosperity. But at the level of the subconscious mind, you have all these levels of resistance based on various different meanings, various different recordings that you've long since forgotten about, that you don't have to think about, that got patterned into you emotionally sometimes before you had the verbal capacity to think critically and know what was what was going on with you. So you're stuck in these holding patterns. You're stuck in these patterns of resistance 
<clears throat> that are not then allowing you to get the thing that you are believing for or manifesting or trying to attract. And because we don't talk about this stuff, because we don't teach about this stuff, because people don't know how to release this stuff, then what ends up happening is we just go try to do the same thing, only harder. Maybe there was some small little key that I was missing or something, so we go back and we try again. When what we really need is we need a lot of catharsis. We need a lot. We need to be able to know how to recognize those patterns of energy that are in us at a cellular level. And then we need to be able to release those patterns of energy so that they're not being recycled in us more and more and more. So, Aaron, that's all great. That's all good. How do I start to do that? The very first step, the very first step is to relax. All right. Just relax with it. Um, and take your time with this and get to know yourself. Um, sometimes we'd be better served and I know I'm, I'm going to put this on YouTube later and I know I'm doing this on Facebook live and I appreciate every view. I want every view. If you haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Um, because, uh, I'm, it's going to be monetized and that's one of the ways that you know, we can keep our organization going and keep doing what we're doing. So please go out and subscribe to my YouTube channel. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe and like and hit the smash buttons, you know, all the stuff to do. Some of you are expert YouTubers. But at the end of the day, sometimes we would be better served to not listen out here for something, for new information that's going to help us. Sometimes we're just better served to start listening in here, to start listening to our own voice and noticing our own states of mind, noticing how we go in and out states of mind. And it can be very, very subtle. And for some people, it just means getting into your body, listening to your body, paying attention to your breathing. Now, again, if you've suffered from a lot of complex trauma, you were abused physically and emotionally and sexually as a child over and over and over again. I can't stress this enough. Please, if there's any possible way that you can get some kind of professional help, please go get professional help with this. Because I realize that for some people, getting into your body uh, can be traumatic in and of itself because you're holding those traumatic energies and whatever in your body. Uh, but if you're able to, and you're able to do this in a way that's healthy for you, then start listening to your body. Start paying attention to where you store tension. Start um, noticing. I mean, your your body will tell you when you're stressed out. Sometimes we're living in stress and we don't even know that we're stressed. And so sometimes you know, shutting everything out, listening to yourself, listening to your body, noticing where you're storing something, noticing in your body where the energy is blocked, and then just paying attention to those things. I'll never forget having uh, uh, <clears throat> issues. I've had issues with neck and shoulders and whatever my entire life, partly because I'm in very sedentary professions where I sit for long periods of time. I sit at a computer for long periods of time. Um, a bigger guy with broader shoulders. So just to type, I have to crunch in like this to type. Um, <clears throat> if I'm texting, again, you notice I'm doing this with my shoulders. But also when I get stressed, I, I tend to tense up and tighten up my shoulders, and I carry this energy around here. And so when I was first exploring these things <clears throat> over 20 years ago, and I started doing just a simple meditation of just listening to my body and noticing where energy was blocked in my body. And I remember this, that, that having to go working an office job, working a desk job at a call center. So I'm on the phone all day long and I'm taking notes from the phone calls. I'm documenting phone calls all day long. So I'm sitting at a typewriter all day long. 30 years old, so I'm still, you know, young. Everything's still got its elasticity and all that stuff, not like today. <laughs> and and so I would have to go get a massage about once a week to work out all the kinks and, and stuff like that. And then I, I got, I got, you know, I just started experimenting. Okay, let's try this. So I, I go into my body, and I notice right away, you know, that I'm stiff and I'm tight up here. 
And I just become present with that stiffness and tightness and say hello to it like a friend. Because for most of us, our conscious voluntary mind has no communication with the subconscious mind. And the subconscious mind has been trying to communicate with us through physical ailments or trying to communicate with us through emotional blockages or trying to communicate with us in our dreams. But we don't understand that. We're not trained or taught any of that. So the conscious mind isn't listening. So there's no phone connection, if you will, between the voluntary mind and the involuntary mind. And so all I'm doing at this point in time is I'm just I'm just back here. I'm I'm just noticing the stress. And I'm establishing that connection. I'm calling that number, so to speak. I'm like, hey, I, I get you've been trying to talk to me. I've been get you. I get you've been trying to send me a message. I haven't been listening. I haven't been listening to my body. Um, what is it that you want me to know? And immediately, uh, a memory came up that would seem relatively insignificant, where I was late uh, for a particular event. And my supervisor in front of everybody yelled at me and chewed me out for being late. And immediately I felt myself go up like this. I felt the shame of it, felt the embarrassment of it. But in the moment, I went to work. So what I did in that moment, I didn't have time to process it. I didn't have time to release it. And so literally part of my tissues up here stored that memory and stored that energy. And so I saw that and I thought, okay, I'm going to forgive this person. And this is why forgiveness can be important because forgiveness simply means you're releasing it. You're releasing the energy of it. Doesn't mean that what they did was okay. Doesn't mean you have to put up with that kind of behavior. Doesn't mean you have to love that person or keep that person in your life. It just means that you're releasing the event from yourself. You're energetically releasing it. And so I allowed myself to feel it. I allowed myself to feel the shame, allowed myself to feel the embarrassment, allowed myself to feel the anger. See how I did that? Feel the anger towards my boss and let that stuff go. And then the next week, this was like on a Saturday or a Sunday, it was on a weekend when I had time off and I was doing some meditation and stuff. And then the next week I went to work and went to my massage therapist the following Friday evening. And they're like, you don't need a massage. Like, you're totally loose. Like, what did you do differently? Now, I want you to watch this. Look what I learned. From the level of treating just the body, I didn't do anything different. I I did the same job for the same amount of hours. I was sitting in the same position, typing in the same position, same posture, same lack of ergonomics and whatever uh, with my workspace. And I didn't have the tight muscles. I didn't have anything that had to be, you know, worked out by the massage therapist. So what happened was I treated the, I treated it at a level of consciousness, but I didn't treat it at a level of consciousness by saying, Oh, I just want to be healed. I just. I believe I'm healed. You know, back then it was faith. I believe I'm healed. I believe I'm healed. I believe I'm healed. No, no, no. What I did was I got into touch with what's the message that's there. Oh, this is ugly. This was a a nasty situation in my life. Something I'd completely forgotten about, suppressed in my memory, but something that my mind-body system was holding on to. And when I was able to release the energy and shift the consciousness of that, my body responded. So sometimes we have to treat the mind and not just the body. Now, just a word for those of you that may be struggling with some kind of chronic illness. I never want to come across like I'm trying to give medical advice or even as counselor psychological advice that is a substitute for professional help or a substitute for professional treatment. But if I was dealing with chronic disease, I would throw everything in the kitchen sink at that chronic disease. See, in the same way you can treat consciousness, you can treat the body by treating consciousness, you can treat consciousness by treating the body. Uh, that's some of what massage therapy does. Um, that's what acupuncture does. 
That's sometimes what nutrition does. We're affecting our state of mind, our, our consciousness by the way we're treating our bodies. So these aren't separate things. These are interrelated things. They relate to each other. So I would throw everything at it. I would go to the doctors. I would try nutrition. I would try essential oils. And I would start looking, what is it inside of me? I remember I had a friend, a, a teacher, a trainer, who was diagnosed with kidney cancer and had tumors on his kidneys, and they were going to have to take him out, biopsy him or whatever. And he just started to talk to the cancer. And establishing that rapport between the conscious mind and the subconscious, establishing that phone connection with the cancer and asking the cancer, what do you need? The cancer said, I need love. I need a hug. And so he would actively in his mind hug the cancer and hug the kidneys. And after a month of doing this, the tumors went away from his body. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be everybody's experience. I'm just saying I would look at all the various different levels. What are the secondary benefits that I might be getting from this illness or this disease? Are there any secondary benefits? Um, but I wouldn't substitute that for professional help or professional treatment or doctors and stuff like that. So anyway, that's my disclaimer at the end. Uh, been going about an hour. I hope this has been helpful. I didn't even get into the transpersonal side of this. So maybe we'll pick this up next time. If this topic is of interest to you, please feel free to comment things that you'd like for uh, me to talk about as I'm getting back on uh, Facebook live and I'm getting back on my YouTube channel and all that stuff. Thank you so much for just uh, staying with me with this and uh, watching this. If you're watching by replay, please let me know. I appreciate every single one of you. Again, if you haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel, please go out on YouTube. I'm under Aaron R. Tomlinson and find my YouTube channel and subscribe because I'm going to be doing more on there um, as I'm able to. And like I said, I'm going to recruit some help with that so that we can improve stuff. So anyway, hope this was interesting. Hope it made sense. Hope it was helpful and hope whatever time it is there and whatever you're doing, that it's great.